And welcome back to Freight Alley and Energy Day at Global Supply Chain Week. My name is Kevin Hill. I'm the executive publisher here. It's been an amazing morning so far, talking energy, oil, and gas. And we're going to continue that conversation right now with a couple guests from Allen International. We have Alan Treva and Lauren Mayer. Uh, coming in right now, talking about 4PLs and control towers and data and how that increases efficiencies in the energy supply chain. So welcome to the show, Alan and Lauren. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, great. So let's kick it off right now and talk a little bit. Uh, give us a little bit of background about Allen International and, uh, and what business you guys are in and, and how you deal with uh, energy supply chains. Sure. I'm Alan Trevitt, um, and I am one of the uh, co-owners of Allen International. Different spelling, I should mention. Uh, we started in 1992. We've got over 40 locations in over 20 different countries. The largest segment of our services is providing logistics control tower support. Uh, it really came out of an entrepreneurial activity uh, back in the uh, mid to late uh, 1990s. Uh, and we were one of the first generation global control towers with a history that dates back, as I say, to probably to 1996 to 1999 when we got uh, uh, really involved in the logistics control tower business. And a very significant segment of our business is in the energy and uh, mining segments. I would say probably at least 50% is supporting those segments. It, um, the need for the service came out of our customers. We're going through a period of acquisitions, global sourcing, factory rationalization, and expanded customer base. And prior to the logistics control towers, our customers had very competitive freight rates, but were not able to use them effectively on a global basis and capture the shipment data on a real-time basis. Their growth and change came without internal processes and structure needed to support a global business and uh, thus the need for the logistics control tower. Perfect, great. And uh, Lauren, yourself, you, you've been, I, I think, around eight years. Is that right? You're global and talent manager. You, you handle a lot of customers in uh, the oil and gas and energy field. How did you get started in logistics? And, 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 and can you fully describe or more, more describe your, your role there at Allen International? Yeah, sure, Kevin. So um, you're right. It's been eight years now that I've been with Allen International. Um, and that entire time, I've been supporting the same client. So that customer is um, a, one of the world's largest oil field service companies. They do a lot of you know, product services for oil drilling evaluation um, with a big focus on energy technology and innovation. They've got, um, they've got manufacturing and service sites all over the world. So um, definitely a global presence. Uh, they've been a customer of Allen Internationals for over 10 years now, and so I've been supporting them the entire time I've been with Allen. I guess, Lauren, that, that covers all modes of shipments, uh, transportation, kind of uh, movement of goods and, and parts and, and equipment all around the world. Yeah, exactly. So inbound, outbound, um, vendor to vendor, um, all modes, air, ocean, ground. Um, and, you know, we even do kind of, you know, not just transportation management, but you know, sourcing support and, and all different types of support that comes out of that kind of 4PL service, yeah. Cool, 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 cool. So uh, when we talk about uh, control towers and logistics control towers, uh, I'm kind of unfamiliar with that term. Can you fill in the audience and, and the listeners out there uh, what a logistics control tower is and the philosophy behind it and, and what you can do with it? 
Absolutely. So I think the whole idea of a control tower is it's a single it's a single point of contact, a single kind of location that manages all of your supply chain activity, um, typically within a region. Um, and I say within a region, but but really the most, I think, successful control tower models, they have a control tower, at least in each major region. And that's really to help support across different time zones. Um, so, Alan, for example, we've got uh, major control towers. You know, we're here in Fort Myers, Florida. This is our control tower for the Americas. Um, we've got one in Prague, Czech Republic that covers EMEA, Europe, Middle East, Africa region, uh, and another in Shanghai, China that manages the Asia Pacific region. Um, and then sometimes we have, you know, smaller control tower locations, offices in between there, one in India, for example, to kind of help support across those time zones as well. Um, so the, the benefit that you get isn't only that you've got, you know, expertise and a point of contact in your, in your region, in your time zone, but you also benefit from having, um, kind of the ability to really optimize like multi-leg transportation, for example. So, um, you know, I think we might know it's not always the most cost effective to move something door to door all the way with a single provider. Um, so having that almost like that pitcher catcher idea where um, if, if a customer in Houston is sourcing from a supplier in China, um, our Asia Pacific control tower can manage that transportation at origin. Um, and then once it's in transit, they can kind of pass the ball to us at the destination and the US control tower can then um, take that final leg and you know, leverage the ground network, um, local ground network, either to get the best cost um, or you know, a, a better transit time to meet the delivery date for particular shipments. So the benefits of the control tower is really you know, having that local presence and point of contact, but also being able to leverage kind of the global marketplace and expertise. Okay, so it's a, 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 you, you can regionally control different, uh, different facets of the supply chain. Is, is that reading it right? Exactly. So it allows that kind of flexibility. You know, you can you can manage everything from origin if you want, but at least you know if a customer is at the destination in a in a twelve hour different you know uh, time difference, then they can still reach out to someone locally to understand you know what is the status of the shipment, and we're all leveraging the same processes, systems, you know, um, procedures. So so we're tight in, in tight communication with our other control towers, so that wherever somebody is who needs you know, an update, um, they can get, you know, that kind of same level of expertise and that same um, kind of system access, you know, regardless of where they are in the world. Yeah, so it's uh, handing off the project from, from one region to the other, keeping it uh, very fresh, even if it's uh, traveling around the world, right? Exactly. Yep. Okay, very good. Um, so, so when we talk about the mix uh, between contract and spot with all those, 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 uh, those movements going around, you know, how's that been trending now since COVID over the last year, the, the, the mix between contract and, and spot pricing and, and movement? Is there like a, a different philosophies coming out uh, about that right now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it was interesting when we first started feeling the effects of, of COVID um, because prior to that, it, it's always been a big focus, you know, of ours and our customers to leverage and, and maximize the use of contract rates wherever possible. Um, and so as soon as the pandemic hit and started impacting, you know, um, air freight space capacity, um, you know, a lot of 
a lot of times all of a sudden now these contract carriers, you know, they might be um, kind of claiming force majeure as, as a reason why they can no longer honor rates, understandably so. Um, and so we've, you know, it may have taken a few months in the beginning, but we've had to adapt kind of to a new rate structure. Um, so I think the days of contract rates with a one or two year validity just isn't realistic anymore. Um, so what we've seen now is is kind of a much more flexible rate structure that might change every month, for example. So there's still some stability um, and the customer still kind of understands, you know, what knows what to expect, at least for a shorter period of time. Um, but it still allows, you know, freight forwarders, for example, to have that flexibility to manage kind of changes in demand with the airlines. Yeah, I think you, you find that in all modes of transportation, whether it's ground, air, uh, e even ocean, this, uh, this annual contract cycle that we usually go down on no matter what mode you have. Uh, over the last 12 months, it's certainly the, the volatility in the market has, has made everyone kind of rethink that, at least in the short term, because it, it's hard to forecast out anything one to, you know, uh, you know, six to 12 months right now. Uh, so a little bit more flexibility and pricing and shorter durations of contracts seem to be the, the, the norm. And I, I guess uh, it's the same in the energy industry right now. Yeah, and, and you know, it's not only changed, um, you know, the contract rate structure, but it's also changed the way we measure different kind of performance metrics. So um, like on-time delivery, for example, we used to take kind of fixed transit times based on those contracts to measure whether, you know, or not something was on time. Um, so we've really had to adapt also now how, what do we call, you know, how we measure success? You know, what do we consider on time versus late if we can't, you know, have, you know, a four day fixed transit time on a lane. Um, but it's interesting, you know, it's kind of forced all of us to be creative and come up with new solutions. Um, you know, even if it's on kind of an ad hoc transaction transactional basis, we're still measuring kind of based on whatever those scheduled bookings are, uh, for example. So in some cases, we've actually seen, you know, we've come up with maybe more um, logical or kind of better measurements for those kind of um, KPIs, you know, key performance indicators that we might adopt long term. Yeah, exactly. Alan, do you think this is a, a is this something you've seen long term in the industry, a, a long term trend to, uh, to shorter duration of contracts or do you think this is just out of necessity right now? I think we hope that over the next 12 months, uh, we'll go back to a, a more normal uh, situation in terms of what we used to see with respect to race, but we certainly see this continuing at least for the next 12 months is, is what, what we're seeing in the market right now. Yeah, yeah. So we're speaking of, of control data uh, or control towers and data and, and the, the like. Uh, you know, large large corporations, especially in the energy industry, they're all multinational. They like the wheel and deal, mergers, acquisitions, divestures, joint ventures. Pro There's a lot of project-based uh, uh, freight on there. You know, uh, managing the, those the, those changes in the, the supply chain. Uh, is is often difficult, and is that where kind of a, a control tower or a, a central or control towers and, and central pieces around the world help out with that? The logistics control towers, I think, been one of the really beneficial uh, attributes with respect to these large corporations that buy and sell different segments of their business because they can quickly integrate those new businesses into their operations using a common strategy, common parameters, common processes uh, 
that'll make it work for them quickly. And they also, if, if there's a need to, to spin them off, they can do it. Uh, senior level management can look at data quickly, uh, see what makes sense, see what's working. Um, and, and obviously it's also critical to their customers. A lot of their customers have got uh, liquidated damages in their contracts and that they have to, to meet. And uh, by having the control tower, it gives them the visibility they need to, to meet their customer expectations. So, so Alan, uh, you know, you know, throughout your career in in, in supply chain, 4PLs, you know, the energy industry, are, are these some of the trends that are, are the most pressing right now as we move forward? Um, well, I would say some of the, the trends that we're seeing right now is that, uh, particularly from some of the plier, suppliers, uh, our corporations we support, support are having a lot of difficulty getting critical components out of the countries that they're in. So they're relooking at some of their supply chains uh, for a lot of the uh, areas that were maybe they've single sourced. Uh, uh, they have to go back to them and see whatever they can do to get the materials moved as quickly as possible and maybe move them in innovative ways, areas where we would have uh, taken a particular route. We have to take another route or another mode to, to get it in. And uh, and again, uh, try to rationalize what pieces we take in to, to meet the uh, critical requirements. You know, uh, and we were talking a little bit about the project base and, and being around the, the world project base. Uh, and a lot of times energy isn't focused on, on, on transportation. You know, they are, everyone's focused on transportation costs, but, but maybe not the rate per mile or the landed cost. It's more about opportunity costs, about, because a lot of it's project based. You can't have idle workers, revenue losses. Uh, those start to mount up. And uh, take that, I, I take that from experience because I used to do some oil moves as a freight broker. And uh, there's nothing worse than, than having uh, you know, a rig down or a processing plant down for a couple of days. You know? that, that's real money, you know, the, the cost of the, the actual delivery is. Uh, so uh, whenever you're, you're facing situations like that, you know, um, you know, what are your, what are your, your not secret sauce, but how does data and, and control towers help you out with that? Yeah, um, you know, there's a couple situations, like you mentioned a rig down, I think whether it's like rig down situation in the Midwest or we've got, you know, um, offshore drilling project off the coast of Africa. Africa, you can leverage leverage the same control tower, um, and you know, in the in the case of like a rig down, for example, like you said, you're losing money by the minute. Um, so it's really critical to be able to have that on call support, um, emergency support that um, is able to leverage maybe an existing network of carriers who are um, familiar with well site deliveries. Um, and maybe those well site deliveries don't even have an address. These might be GPS coordinates in some cases. Um, so it's important to have that existing pool of carriers that the control towers usually already have that relationship with. Um, in the case of kind of the larger projects, it might not be so much about cost as it is, um, you know, I mean, it not, might not be about urgency um, so much as it is, you know, other factors like attention to detail and doing your due diligence um, to avoid extra costs and risk. So, you know, for example, just packaging something one way versus another could save a business hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, we had an example where, you know, our project specialist was quoting for large air freight um, that they said they couldn't repack. It wasn't an option. It was too expensive and too timely. Um, and, and the only option that the 
the carriers or the service providers were quoting was an Antonov, which is like the largest aircraft in the world, very pricey. Um, so in that particular situation, actually our project specialist, she went ahead and remapped the cargo and went back out to the market, got rates for the, the repackaged dims, and now all of a sudden it can move in a freighter. Um, and she presented these options to the business and they, they saw that there was um, an opportunity to save actually ended up saving almost $800,000 just um, by repackaging the material. Um, and now they were avoided having to use, you know, the largest aircraft um, at a much more expensive price tag. So um, I think in both of those kind of scenarios, you're leveraging, you know, that support and that expertise of the control power, which isn't something that a lot of businesses consider their core competency. You know, they're focused on things like planning um, and production. Uh, where, you know, if you've got the right link in your supply chain, um, which is kind of that four PL control tower, they can, you know, um, really kind of get creative and it can really benefit all the other areas of your supply chain in ways that you might not have expected. I think that's what maybe attracts uh, all of us here today uh, about supply chain and logistics, transportation, that the whole gamut from beginning to end is, is uh, things go wrong all the time, or, or there's uh, always issues, there's always challenges, even on interviews like here, you know, you just have to work through them, and if you spend a little time in the, the logistics industry, uh, you, you definitely, you think on your feet a little bit more. Is that uh, something that, that, that both, you know, Lauren, Alan, you guys enjoy about the business? Every day is exciting. Every, you never know what you're gonna uh, get into. Um, you know, critical nut and bolt coming, uh, out of China for a utility that's down to, and I'm sure that Lawrence can give you all sorts of other examples. Yeah, I mean, I, I still talk about stories from from years ago. There's some that they just stick with you, you know, for years. And uh, in the time, it might be really stressful and you're pulling your hair out, but you look back and you learn a lot from it. And it's kind of a, it's a cool and, and interesting experience. So, and I hear the same thing from a lot of our other team members. So I think that's what they enjoy about, about the business. Yeah, logistics is certainly one of those businesses uh, that there's never a dull day. There's always right. uh, there's always something, and if it is a dull day, that, that's when I get paranoid. You know, mm -hmm. I get paranoid when it's a dull day because I'm waiting for when the next shoe is right. going to drop and my life is going to calm change. before the storm. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The calm before the storm. Exactly right. What do you think are some of the? Let's do uh, one, two, three, however many that that we can. The, the, the biggest trends that you're seeing going forward in the energy industry when it comes to supply chains and maybe efficiencies or technologies, whatever you think are the, the long or the biggest trends out there? Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll mention the obvious one. I think um, automation is really the name of the game these days. I think that every, I mean, probably every industry is, is really looking to automate, you know, processes and things wherever possible. So um, the fewer bottlenecks you have, the fewer touch points and people touching, you know, your shipments, the, the better it frees up resources to focus on other things, you know, strategy and, and cost reduction. So automation from, of course, the most basic need in supply chain is, is track and trace. Um, I think we've seen that develop a lot over the years from, you know, EDI, API, and now there's like GPS live tracking. And um, I think that'll only continue to, to enhance um, other forms of automation. I mean, 
data and analytics reporting platforms. Um, so, I mean, even when I started with this company eight years ago, we were reporting things on Excel spreadsheets. And, and now we've got these kind of live interactive dashboards that are web-based that not only do we utilize for our own analytics, um, but we, you know, give that access to our customers as well. So, um, automation is a big one uh, that I can think of. Um, Alan, I don't know if you want to add on to that. I think we continue to see our customers getting shorter cycled from their customers. And it really puts a, a, a demand on everybody in terms of how to bring the timeframes in. So it's difficult for sometimes for them as they get a lot of parts that have to come out of their supply chains to make the products and then their customers uh, need it on a much more timely basis than they used to have it. Uh, irrespective of uh, you know what the business is, whether it's oil and gas or turbines or whatever it may be, so yeah, all of those are are, are really um, interesting uh, trends going forward. I